with Authors fans, we have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today is the fantastic Bo Lake, and we get to meet with Debbie Weiss. Woo! Welcome, Debbie. Thank you for having me, Erica and Bo. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you we're drinking. So I got a little creative today, peeps. And in this cup is I got some chai latte mix from Starbucks. And then I put espresso Baileys in it and I added cold brew and then milk. So I made a very dirty chai latte iced. I'm very excited about this. I felt very creative this morning. Um, Bo, what are you drinking? That sounds good. I might have to try one of those. Today I'm drinking a blue moon that Ooh. matches my hair. You know? Yes. Gotta always match. Yeah, gotta match, gotta match. Debbie, what are you drinking? Uh, it is 10 a.m. here in beautiful California, so I am <laughs> drinking a glass of uh, sparkling wine. I think it's called Paul Remy from Trader Joe's. It is oh. $3 a bottle, and I strongly recommend it. I love Trader Joe's um, inexpensive wines. They have an inexpensive red, too, that, I mean, I think it's like five bucks a bottle. I used to go in and buy a case, because I would, and that sounds terrible, but... Trader Joe's was a little far away, but I buy a case because I'm like $5 wine and it tastes really good. Like movie night. Okay. So uh, that's my Trader Joe's journey. There's not one near me now. It's very sad. Moving on. My dog's apparently part of this podcast as well. Um, what, uh, for the audience at large, Debbie, what do you write? Well, um, I write essays primarily. I've my, my published work has all been essays. But then um, last year, last September, my first um, book came out and it's a memoir. Very cool. So what made you decide to go from essays to memoir? Oh, well, this is a little awkward. Uh, my husband died. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Actually, I didn't write as I didn't write very much at all. Um, I'm a former lawyer until my husband passed in 2013. And then I turned to writing um, to find community, to deal with loss. And then from there, maybe I'm a little competitive. I started sending essays out to be published and then ultimately uh, wrote the book. I, that is amazing. By the way, you said you were a lawyer, so you did a lot of writing. That is impossible that you didn't do an absolute ton of writing. I did. Year. I did. It was boring, but I did, yes. Yes, no, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so the memoir, when did the memoir come out? Last did September. You can hold it up if you'd like. I'd love What's to. It called? It's called Available As Is. And then the subtitle is A Midlife Widow's uh, Search for Love. And it came out last September. 
Oh, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. So when you started writing the essays, because I mean, obviously you did have a profession where there was a lot of writing. And I know a lot of people, even if they want to be creative, if they have a profession that has a lot of doing the same thing, it's not fun when they get home. It's like you're writing all the time and then you go home and you're like, I don't, I don't want to write anything anymore. Like, I'm That's true. Yeah. yeah. I didn't read either when I was practicing law. I, you know, I didn't write, I didn't read, you know. So um, what was the first um, foray into writing essays? What was the first one you touched upon? Well, oh, this is funny. Um, I wrote, uh, I started, I, so the first thing I sent out was to an online publication that isn't around anymore. And I think it was called Exo Jane. And it was a magazine. Yeah. It was for younger women. It was kind of viewed as a confessional, but I liked it because it was so honest. You know, people just really said what they were feeling. And I felt like it was kind of put down because most of us were women, you know, writing our experiences. And the first thing I had published was a piece called I Was an Online Dating Addict. Mm. I went Ooh. real highbrow. Yeah. Very. That sounds fun. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Yeah. Online dating is a whole interesting realm in and of itself, isn't it? So um, now that I have a question. So now you've published this memoir. Do you have um, other different writing aspirations? Like has this caused you to go, you know what, I want to do this or where, where has this taken you? Well, it's taken me on the positive side, which is good to be positive. I've really met cool people doing this. I'm pretty insular. I quit practicing law about 20 years ago when I was 40. Mm. So I didn't do that. When my husband died, I was real isolated. When I was writing, it gave me a sense of community. I had classes. And then from the book, I have been doing a fair number of podcasts. Everybody's been so fun to talk to, sending a few things out to magazines, meeting you know fellow authors virtually. That part's been fantastic, but I don't have any more writing aspirations in terms of being published. Um, mm. It's too, oh, it's an adult podcast. It's too fucking expensive. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's take a little foray into your little publishing journey and what happened and how you did it. So you write the memoir. How did you go about getting it published out of curiosity? Curious, inquiring minds want to know the <laughs> chai lattes. Please tell us. I tried. Um, when I had the book ready to go, if I recall, it was the beginning of the pandemic. Things were just kind of starting. We didn't even really know what it is yet. I remember because I was in school, I actually went back and I got a master's degree. I was 56 at uh, wow. a college. And at that point, you know, I got the MFA to get the book better. I was working with a pretty famous editor. She was a established author. She was giving me ideas. And I sent the book out to a bazillion agents and nothing happened. I mean, be honest. Um, you know, this is a memoir about a privileged person becoming widowed. It probably has a, you know, maybe a limited appeal, honestly. Um, so I went with a hybrid publisher, She Writes Press, who are amazing, but it's also very expensive. And by the time you've hired a publicist and tried to get the book out there and paid for the publishing, and again, most authors, you don't make much back. It's been a bit much. I mean, I haven't really want, I, I mean, it's been odd trying to be like my own publicist, be my own book promoter. It's just too, you know, ads are ridiculous. It feels like there's this group of us people and everyone sort of targeting saying, you know, for $3,000, you could be in five newsletters that go to influencers. You know, I've just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm tired of trying to influence. 
Yeah, no, and I'm I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because there are hybrid presses out there that are great, but at the same time, I think some hybrid presses, and I'm not sure who you're with, so I'm not picking on them, um, are actually vanity presses in disguise. So a vanity press charges you for everything, basically doesn't do anything on the other side. They just go, here's your book, you know, like and go make it happen. And there's a lot of misnomers about getting your book out there and stuff. There is a lot to do with marketing, but it shouldn't actually cost you a lot to create your author platform and do word of mouth. Like there's a lot of book clubs you can reach out to. There's even a thing called bookclub.org, I think it is. I'm going to look it up right as we're speaking. So I'm using the right bookclubs.com. And you can actually go on there and create a book club and um, uh, for your book even, or you can go on there and find book clubs that do certain like memoirs and stuff like that. Um, to to create it because I do think that there you know more and more there are some groups that are doing guidance like I know um, the author talk network which is out there now is starting to do a lot of guidance they're actually I think the first book comes out February and March but it's about how to promote yourself and how to what the writing process should be and what the dangers are and I only know this because they asked me to write a chapter in two of the three books they're they're putting out but there, it's it is dangerous because you get these like, hey, you if you do this, I'll send it to my fifty thousand Twitter followers. Like, who the hell knows who's actually following you and do they actually buy books? That's cool. Yeah. You manage to get fifty thousand Twitter followers, but it, you know, it is very dangerous and can be exhausting for people because it's a lot of money and you go, well, wait, I don't, I don't know, you know, what is the right place and is your book placed in the right genres and stuff like that? Because I think regardless of where you came from, your tale is going to resonate with people who've lost somebody. Like that's the truth. It doesn't matter where you are in, in life. Um, the grieving process is, is um, fairly similar for everyone and they can find pieces in where other people have gone through, even just to acknowledge um, how they're feeling, right? Because I think a lot of people when going through a process like that, um, myself included, you feel you go through different things and you go, am I alone in this? Is there something wrong with me for feeling this way? Or how do I get past that next point? So, because, you know, you know, the adage time heals all wounds, blah, blah, blah. It's not just time though. Some, <laughs> you need some mechanisms to heal. So I think that your book could resonate easily with other people, but I know how exhausting it is going, okay, this is the route to go. And unfortunately you did pick a time when right as that pandemic was starting and it created a lot of, um, not just for people, but I think we had um, a lot of um, stop. Like we started our publication company in January 2020, which I always joke like perfect timing, you know, um, but I think that you know, at that time, everything, because I was doing HR was my day job. I was a CHRO for a global company. Everything just stopped because I think people didn't know what to do and getting readjusted to starting again. There's a two year time lag on top of the time lag. It takes every publisher. It seems like on the planet, not us. Um, and there are several uh, 
smaller presses that actually treat authors really, really well. But a lot of them, everything stops. So they stop. So then they stop. And then, you know, communication comes back years later. I saw somebody post the other day that they had submitted a book. And three years later, they got a rejection notice. Three years. Like, what the hell are you going to do with that three? Like, I'm sitting here waiting for you to tell me whether or not you're going to publish my book. Three years later, said no one on the planet, right? I hope yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, you've had an interesting journey, but it's something, and we can always talk offline, maybe to reset, to look at it differently, because I think you get trapped in a, it's expensive and I have to do these things, but there are ways to do it where it doesn't cost anything but time. There is time invested in making those kind of things. There, I just did a bunch of pontificating, go me, anyway. <laughs> um, Bo, do you have questions? Look, I'm doing it in the first half. Look at me. Wow. Usually I don't get asked the question until like the latter half. Um, since you wrote a memoir, how did you, did you outline the entire memoir or did you just free write and see where it took you? What was your the process second, like? The second one. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, it was more like the second one. You know, when my husband passed in about, about a year after, I started just to go to writing classes. And then, you know, 14 months after he passed, I started dating and it was a shit show. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I met so many terrible guys. I joked that I wrote the book to warn midlife women about the exceedingly poor quality of so many middle-aged <laughs> men out there. And I started to just write like vignettes, like I'd write a dating vignette and I started to blog, um, which my, you know, did that. And then as I was taking a writing class and I joined a writing group with a few pretty intense writers. And so, you know, twice a week, I'd want to have something to turn in. I'm a good student, right? I went to law school, <laughs> so I meet my deadlines. And then um, as I started to write little bits of pieces, I started to put them together. And then I realized I didn't know what I was doing, which led to more workshops. Um, I did some like workshops in San Francisco for like works in progress and stuff, which was really neat. It got me to meet different people and out of the house. Mm -hmm. And so what basically what happened is it just kind of started to evolve and evolve and evolve. It, so it was little vignettes, which then turned into kind of a mess of a draft, which then went into much better drafts. Right. So you, you said you just started doing writing classes. Were you a big writer? Like as a kid, were you writing little stories all the time? Yes, I was. I used to write little stories, not a lot, but you know, I was I was a geek in high school and I took all the writing classes I could. Mm -hmm. I was in AP English. I did creative writing. There were some school write, writing contests and you know, five of us got the top scores, all that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So I enjoyed it. In college, I was a literature major, which I loved mm -hmm. and I loved writing those kinds of papers. Then I went to law school and all my creativity died. Um, yeah. But then when, after I quit practicing law, I went back to a weekly writing class. I didn't take it very intensely, but I, I submitted mm -hmm. stuff once a week. My husband was alive then. And mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, I spent most of my time with him. It was a very right. encompassing marriage. <laughs> so then when he passed, I had a lot more time, probably too much time. And I went back to the class and then the group and then more classes and then more intense. And if publishing didn't cost like if there wasn't so many costs to put into it for you, do you have plans to potentially do another book? Is there another one brewing in your mind somewhere? Well, that's interesting. Um, I don't seem to have much of an imagination. I can mm. write a book, I can write essays, but it's all stuff that's happened to me. 
I write, you know, I mean, I know how to condense. I know how to make things more interesting. I get, I get story arc. I can talk about that stuff, but I'm not a fiction writer. Um, I wrote one short story in the MFA program, sent it everywhere and got, I mean, it was rejected everywhere. It was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this isn't, this apparently this isn't, this is not good. So Probably not. I mean, if the book were successful, I would do something like a workbook for mm-hmm. widowed folk who are looking right. at dating or remaking their lives. Cause I think I can speak to that pretty effectively. It's been almost 10 mm-hmm. years for me. Um, and I would love to write some more about my dad because he raised me as a single parent and he's a nuclear physicist. He's really interesting. Ooh. Yeah, I know. He's, he's like everybody's favorite character in here. <laughs> so you know, that I, sounds like a fun book to write. Have you thought about biographying your dad? Yeah, that's a good idea. I should probably interview him. He is 92 and a half. And my partner uh, keeps saying, go talk, you know, talk to him, record him while you can. Mm-hmm. I would. Absolutely. It sounds like that could be fun because it sounds like you, regardless of whether you say you're creative or not, you obviously are because you wrote because you know, it, I'm quite sure your book does not read like most legal things. And having done HR for a very long time, I've read a ton of legal things, you know, <laughs> and um, I always used to joke with my legal teams that like, listen, you're not being paid by the word. So whatever the hell this is, you can like rein it in because <laughs> you're using so many. Um, but uh, I think that you do have a humor to you, even just from the little things you've said. So putting that spin and humanizing the person, which is, you know, a skill set, regardless of where you um, are in law or what you're doing, it sounds like you have that aspect of it. And that is a whole skill set that not every writer has, taking real life experiences and being a storyteller. So you are a storyteller. Now, I'm not saying you can write a fantasy novel. I can't write a fantasy novel because that's too much world building and screw that shit. Um, I've said that many times on the show. I write uh, humorous erotica and I write, and my humorous erotica is based on a lot of real life experiences that I've had, right? Um, Just fictionalized and with, you know, compartmentalizing some of it and stuff like that because you could have like a two-week road trip well nobody wants to hear about every single day necessarily on the two-week road trip but you can condense it right (laughs) it sounds like you have that skill set so I think it's something I mean just my advice that you might want to go into and then we can like I said talk offline about how you can approach finding your audience for your book and your workbook and things like that but I would write your dad's biography. I think that's a brilliant idea because, you know, a nuclear physicist, that is, you know, Sheldon Cooper all over the place. Like, look at that. That is like the number one TV show for like 10 years. So people are interested in that subject. So that's my, I would do that. Well, thank you. I think that's a great idea. Cause I mean, I also, but my dad's cool. You know, his life was really interesting. You know, he was born in 1932 so he's seen a tremendous amount and he did some government work, which is interesting. And I mean, anybody who can pro- understand quantum mechanics is pretty interesting. You know, I, yeah. I can't. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, exactly. But I think exactly. I think you do have that skill set. So I would, that's my advice. I know we just you. met you, but barely know you, but that's something I think there are different writers in the world and we have to remember that and not every every author can do everything trust me from you know we're into the 300th episode i've talked to so many authors out there 
And every one of us has a different skill set that we bring to the table. So I would not take away from your skill set whatsoever. Thank you. And a lot of us think we don't have a skill and then find out that we do, like, because we just are like too afraid to try a thing. And then we try it. We're like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at that thing. You're totally right. Because like these podcasts, I've actually done a fair number of them to promote the book. And I wouldn't have done them if I didn't have a book, you know. But I've talked about recovering from widowhood. I talk about midlife stuff. And I've loved meeting people and I've loved talking. And, you know, I've done a few readings and things and people are like, you're not nervous. It's like, no, you know, I'm not nervous. I'm going to be 60. I, it, it, I just, I'm past that kind of nervousness. Do I look okay? I don't care. I mean, you know, and it's all gone fine. But it's not a skill set I would have thought I had reaching out. Because I do, I send out a lot of emails and I talk to a lot of folks. And I really like it. And that's a different skill set. And, you know, just e being able to ask for things is useful. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, the fact that you have done that, you're actually steps way above some authors that don't reach out at all. Like, you'd be amazed how many, because there, again, there are more guidebooks coming out that, to help authors to do stuff. But they don't, they're not just abounding around the place. And it's sometimes hard for authors to find it because there's a lot of misinformation too and stuff on how to do things. So no, you being on podcasts and talking about all this stuff, I think is completely fabulous. So um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with your team with authors. Okay. listeners you know me eric lance you're just listening to me in the podcast that you have but guess what i'm doing something new yeah she's joining me mark muncie the author of the erie florida book series in erie appalachia and we are hosting a new podcast called erie travels Woo -woo, erie travels which covers things like ghosts cryptids weird stuff ufos men in black all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we are back. So, um... I know you said previously that on a lot of the podcasts, you talked about the book itself and the journey. Um, how cathartic was it? Because I know when we've talked to other people who've written memoirs about certain subjects, they've said that even just writing it down was hugely cathartic to get the thoughts out on it. And it was. Originally to write it all and to go through that cathartic experience was um it was hard too it's really emotional um you know my husband was in, he died of cancer and he was in denial about it so our goodbye was kind of ugly because he thought he was going to get better and instead he was dying but he wouldn't acknowledge it he didn't involve his parents which was very hard he turned down kind of outside help that would have been certainly better for me as his caregiver i had a lot of guilt when he died and being able to write it all down and go through those experiences it starts out being cathartic. And then at the end of the day, it's really hard. You know, you go home and you're, you know, you're done. I work, I work from home and I'd be like, 
okay, I just need the most comforting TV show and, you know, take out mac and cheese, two, two servings, bottle of red, you know, it was hard. But ultimately, at least for me, when I tried to turn it into what I considered a marketable book, something that read really well, and I do want to put in a plug for my publisher, which is She Writes Press, which curates its titles and really does have good writers. I read a lot of She Writes books and they are curated and they do select carefully their books and turn down a ton and make sure that the books are well-written for publication. So I do want to give them a plus there. Um, and I worked with a real, a, 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 actually a pretty famous author um, to get this thing in shape. So once you kind of get to the thing of trying to get it marketable or publishable, or what I considered something that read well, that to me read like a real book, not like a journal, it kind of gets past the catharsis and more into the craft. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons I got the master's. Very, so what did you get the master's in? Hmm. I have a, uh, I have an MFA in uh, creative writing and my genre was creative nonfiction. Wow. So you, you literally went and got all the education on this too. You definitely need to write more. You put all that effort into, you definitely need to write. It was fun. I mean, it was fun. I went back to school. I, you know, I was 54. I graduated at 56. It's, it's fun to go back to school and be surrounded by, you know, young, cynical people. And it was also helpful to me because, you know, the classes were full of some kids. I call everybody kids now, you know, people in their twenties and their thirties and their millennials and their Gen Z. And I was wondering if the book would resonate with them. And a lot of them really liked it because I have kind of a cynical sense of humor and it worked. So it was helpful for me to see that it worked beyond, you know, middle-aged Caucasian ladies. Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm telling you, that's the thing is, I think your humor is even just a brief thing we've seen in it. And honestly, when you were describing the story with your husband briefly, obviously, I had a similar situation. I lost my mom when I was 27 to breast cancer that she was going to handle holistically, you know, like it was you know, and you get anger from that. So I oh, yeah. thousand percent relate to what you said, because you just go, you know, everybody's journey has to be their own journey, but there are those situations where we're like, what the actual fuck? Like, what are you yes. just doing? <laughs> that was my life. Yeah. My, my mom died when I was 10. That's why I said I was raised by a single dad and she died after a brief illness. And so I was kind of shocked when I was, you know, 49 and my husband gets sick and he's going to die. And I'm like, what the fuck twice in my life, the two people I've loved the most, this isn't, you know, I, I'm not a religious person, but it did make me question fate, you know, and I had to kind of get out of that because, you know, sip ending the rest of my life mired in self-pity and feeling like I was cursed, wasn't, wasn't going to work. Yeah, no, I guess. I can 100% relate to that, you know, yeah. and it's, it's interesting because you have to remember you're going on a journey, but they're also going on a journey, you know what I mean? And sometimes the journeys are not to the same place or taking the same roads or, you know, sometimes you can't be the navigator in the car going, Hey, why don't we turn here? And they're like, no, I'm going to keep going. And you're like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, I know. Can't we just calmly get the, you know, the palliative, can't we do this? You know, where's, where's the bouquet of the white lilies by the beautiful bedside? You know, why are, you know, instead of just chaos. Exactly. Hard. And, but sometimes, unfortunately, that's, that's part of the, the journey is you have to go, okay, well, that's your journey. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit here because that's what I can do at this point in time is sit here. <laughs> 
That was kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. My late husband was a workaholic. He was um, the tech lead on, um, it's called Quicken and it was a product by Intuit mm. Financial Software. Oh, now, I know what Quicken is. Yeah. 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 He was Mr. Quicken. And at the end, you know, he just wanted to work. And that was like kind of his legacy. And it was like, well, I really can't do anything. I can help him to facilitate this work that he wants to do. I can see that in his denial, I think he's still working effectively. I was never really sure. This is what he wants to do with his remaining time. That and make, you know, fancy meals he can't eat. But that's what we can do. I mean, that's how he wants this to end. That's what it's going to have to be. You, know, you have to relinquish control is what I'm saying. And I'm a control freak. So. Oh, yeah, I know that. I, ditto, doesn't go well. Doesn't go well at all. <laughs> I do understand that. I'm trying to control everything. So when let's talk a little bit about your writing process when you were sitting down. Did you do this on a computer? Did you handwrite? Like, how did you approach these pieces? This is my trusty iPad. Um, <laughs> and that's that's what I write on. Occasionally a computer. I don't, um, I can't handwrite. I, my dad and I both have horrifically illegible handwriting. It's completely useless. If I do anything, like when I was in class or taking notes, I, I type. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure in retrospect if I got through the essay part of the bar exam making it legible, but I, know, I was 25. So I guess my writing was better then. But I just, I type on an iPad and did my vignettes and such. And then when I wanted to do bigger things, because at some point it all has to come together and that's really hard. And then I used a computer. I have a big old Mac. I'm using that for this and just my living. And then I printed everything out and cut and paste when I was editing to try to get, you know, all the pieces together. Because my, my book is pretty tightly structured. It has backstory woven in. So it's kind of braided. And that was, that was really hard to do was weave in the backstory and make it all fit together but not have it start with backstory because it's about dating. So it had to start with the character getting ready to date and go out in the world and then weaving in the harder parts later. Cause I didn't want it to be too dark or too depressing. And I didn't really want it to be a widow book. Right. No, I, that makes sense. And I think that, you know, again, that's the creative part of doing something like that. So yeah. how, so you, it, it went up, it got published. What was it like to get the book in your hands for the first time, like the paperback? Cause I know that's, you know, that's kind of a moment most of the time. Okay. I'm going to be really honest. Um, two, two versions. First, I got the ARC, the advanced reader copy. And I noticed that my fellow writers had all been reaching out to authors and getting endorsements. I myself had kind of blanked on that. So when I, when I first got it, it was like, oh shit, I don't have the kinds of endorsements that other writers do. So it was a few weeks, about six weeks of scrambling and just going, this needs to look like a real book. I need to get author endorsements. I need to do this. And I did. And my publisher helped me and a couple of writers I knew helped me. And it was really gratifying where a couple seemed like they didn't really want to like, oh, this is good. I, I'll endorse this. And then I paid because as an indie, you have to for, a, for a, I got a very, not a star, but a very good Kirkus review. So that was good. So the first thing was, oh shit, this doesn't look like a real book. But once I got the final book, which has the dread endorsements and looks like a real book, it was amazing. I mean, it was like, whatever happened, I did this. This was a dream and it happened. Very cool. What about your first reviews? The book goes up and then you start, do you look at your reviews? On Amazon? Um, Okay, I don't do a lot of, I didn't do this well. Again, you're supposed to have 
something called a street team. You're supposed to have people who had it ahead and were giving out reviews. Um, I know some people and they post, some people I know posted reviews, a few other people did. My reviews are pretty stalled at this point, but they were good. The reviews are good. And it was amazing. And I was especially really gratified when I'd see reviews from fellow widows who'd say, this is what I'm going through. I relate to this. She dealt with the issues that I do. I feel less alone. One of them said she dealt with dating. She dealt with sex. Most books don't do that. Thank you. So for me, it was really gratifying just to see some reviews and even Facebook, you know, people said, oh, I, I loved your book. I ordered your book. I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, one woman just put in a quote, um, a thing that a widowed woman said that she read my book and it encouraged her to take her daughter on a trip to Paris Aww. to go with her daughter. So things like that make me happy. You know, I feel like I'm helping people. I mean, that's kind of the widow thing. I think this kind of thing when you're widowed, at least for me, part of it was the loneliness and feeling so alone and feelings were so crazy. Like it's like being 13 again, but with a terrible loss, you're so unmoored. I was so unmoored. So the fact that I got reviews from people, widowed folk and divorced people too, who said it was helpful was great. Cause you know, you expect to spend your life partnered and then it's like, now what? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I, so I think that's great. And you are getting the type of reviews. So, you know, that's one thing is if you put out a memoir and nobody is saying that it's impacting them at all, you're kind of like, is anybody reading it? Like what's happening out there, right? Um, have you done any like book club events or anything like that with readers? It hasn't happened yet. Um, I've done readings at a few bookstores. I did a wonderful Q&A with the rabbi at my local synagogue. And I was thinking of my grandma Miriam looking down from heaven, we're Jewish. So this was meaningful to me. Um, I have a couple, another bookstore event coming up near where I live. I've done, I said, a ton of podcasts. My own book club read my book. I twisted their arm a little. But I really haven't gotten, I haven't had, oh, you know, I did do a couple, I'm lying, um, a couple virtual book clubs. I did a virtual book, I've done a couple virtual book clubs where widows groups reached out to me and I did a couple online, small, people didn't come. I did one in Cal, in Canada and Calgary. And for some reason that was the day Calgary's internet was having a bad day, but I did that. And then I'm actually tomorrow I'm doing virtual book club for the National Memoirs Association. So I seem to be getting organizations, a few organizations, generally widows, find me for a book club, but not so much people. You know, I think I put it out there a few times on Facebook. If you want me, I'll show up virtually. But, you know. <laughs> no, I think that's great. That's exactly what you need to do, right? Yeah. I'm, happy, I'm happy to do that, you know, again, virtually. But yeah, but so again, you know, a couple widows groups. Mm -hmm. How was the in-person readings and signings? How was that for you? Fun. I really enjoyed it. I didn't, I haven't gotten big turnouts, honestly. You know, some people, you know, it's kind of a mix of a few people I know, maybe a few widows and divorced women, um, people who just support the book, people I've known. Um, my local yoga company had an event and, you know, there were a few of us on mats chatting, but I, I love that. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. It's neat because people connect. I've, I've always gotten involvement in the audience. People ask me a lot of questions. They get involved. They share their stories. And like one reading I did um, at a bookstore here in Pleasanton, California, it was really neat because it was some um, women and some were divorced and there were some widows and a couple were looking for community and they kind of bonded at that reading. And that mm -hmm. was really neat. 
for one mom's like, well, I'm new here. I'm trying to meet people. And someone's like, oh, well, join our walking group, join our club, you know? So I've really enjoyed oh. that when I do stuff, people do seem they're engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard because I'm unknown. So, and right. people are so busy. I mean, you know, I've, I've had I a few the- friends with readings and I haven't gone because they're too far away. Right. I like the idea of a virtual book club though. That's not to say there was a good thing about the pandemic or anything, but it's great that there's been more options for like book clubs to meet up like worldwide or you to go to a book club in Canada without having to leave your house. It's, it's been really eye-opening to see how like things have changed in like some good ways, I guess. No, I agree with you because I think that it opened the world a lot more where it closed it in a way. So yeah, I'm going to go back and forth. (laughs) It closed it in a way, but it also opened it in a way Yeah, because it created a situation where we could, um, uh, I don't know how exactly to say this, but like you could reach more people, you could broadly, and especially people that maybe don't go out to things or whatever, it's easier for them to be behind a computer doing stuff. And there's a lot of people in the world, that's the case. And um, it just, but you found people that you wouldn't have found because they weren't in this little community, they were in this worldwide community. Right. And I think um, you will be surprised, Debbie, how much your book will pick up momentum because the truth is 60 Five, 64% of book sales, literally, and this is, I'm not making this up. This is by um, written word media and stuff like that is by author platform and word of mouth. And word wow. of mouth is going to those things and book clubs. And then this person says to this, and it sort of starts at, you know, the avalanche effect in a good way, um, not a bad way, where it, you know, you have enough people that would word of mouth and things come up and they go, oh, hey, you should read this book or hey I had this in their life thing and then it just starts to sort of spider web grow and that's how you have to do it and doing um you know uh takeovers of other people's newsletters it's something just reaching out to other authors that maybe have written similar memoirs right not exactly the same but similar memoirs and going hey can we do a newsletter swap right? Not a paid newsletter swap, but you mentioned their book, they mentioned your book. That's what a newsletter swap is. But it's making those connections with other authors, because if people read their book about loss and grief, they're going to read your book too. Believe it or not, that's how it works. Because most of the time people are looking for more than just one um, voice in those sort of things. So that's something that can easily be done as well to find it, but it is word of mouth and author platform. And it's not author platform, Facebook ads. That's a misnomer. It's author platform that, you know, you're out there, people can see you, you have a newsletter that you're doing once a month. It doesn't have to be all the time. And that you're on, um, you know, Facebook, like I think you're, or Instagram, it doesn't even have to be all of those, but I think some of your dating things could be probably an absolutely hilarious blog that you could do. You know what I mean? You did essays, but I bet you could do a hilarious blog and also talk about, you know, what you're encountering as you went through the grieving process. Like, and I think you'd find people want to hear your voice there. So. I appreciate uh, that. You know, um, Erica, I did have a blog for years and it wasn't terribly successful. I mean, it was, I think the writing was good. It started out, the writing was terrible. I could tell I was going to be a better writer because my blog posts went from looking, 
like a couple paragraphs, this guy is a dick to, you know, something <laughs> with wisdom and perspective and ideas. And then for a little bit, um, I wrote on Medium and I was actually pretty successful on Medium. I was a top writer mm -hmm. for a bit. And now I haven't been, it's, I don't know, my, the publication I wrote for shut down, Medium doesn't feel like Medium. And I kind of ran out of nasty things to say about middle-aged guys, but <laughs> I've been in a relationship for five years. So I'm kind of out of material, which, you know, mm. um, but yeah, you're right. I probably should get back into that. My newsletters have people like them, you know, again, it's just not a huge group and it's hard to kind of get people to, to, to be interested in that. It's, it's true, but that's what I'm saying. If you, you find things to write about and yeah. it's once a month. And when I say blog, I'm talking about the blog that goes with your newsletter once a month on this thing and how you did yeah, it, but you right. find other people who published a similar book and you just do crossovers. Because a lot of people, a lot of our authors, one of the things I talk about is they even go, oh, I'm, I'm not that interesting. But I go, it's just little things, talking about your pets, talking about you know, places, wine places you go to, talking about a coffee shop. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be this very deep, like philosophical, I'm going to pontificate about world issues. You know, it's more like they want to be engaged in knowing you and are interested in that fact. So it's just something to think about on that, I think. Well, that's um, a good point. <laughs> You know, in um, my latest one, I just wrote about like a book I was reading and I was like, I'm reading this book and it's really great. I have nothing to say about my writing, but I'm reading a book. And <laughs> <laughs> My last newsletter, I was in Maui for a couple of weeks, which was really neat. And um, my last newsletter went into like, you know, when you're older, losing the male gaze and how that is in our friend. And so that was kind of fun. I, I tend to, I do actually talk, tackle topics. I've tackled, um, having hope after being widowed, that type of thing. Um, I do actually have a piece in a couple months coming out in the Huffington Post about um, recovering from widowhood. You know, their, their things are always two sentences. So mine was something like, you know, I was widowed 10 years ago. This is how I recovered. See, that is something that you talk about and you talk about being asked to write about it and stuff like that. I don't know. I think that you're you'll find your audience that way. Erica's very pro newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of you know. I'm trying to be more positive about it and think of it less of a chore and more like, hey, you've got a few people. They're going to listen to what you say, you know. And I but think I'm, it's okay to have a few people because a few people means they're going to talk about you to somebody else, and they're going to talk about you to somebody else. And like my newsletter is not that many people either but I think they're it's good to be like okay those people are still listening I got to give them like feed the machine give them something right. to think about no you're exactly. right no you're right I actually was asked to do a it was a three-day like virtual conference of 20-minute interviews with women who are midlife experts and I was your kind of midlife loss expert you know dating after widowhood and I had to do three newsletters to mention the event um and so I was straining because I don't advertise things. I'm just, I'm a writer. So I don't want right. to say, you know, buy the subscription or do this. I did think it was a good event. I do support it. I love the interviewer. She's amazing. But I had to come up with like content pretty quickly because I was in Hawaii and my deadline was getting closer and closer. So it was a challenge where it's like three newsletters in one and a half weeks. Make this so you don't alienate people. <laughs> you know? And it was fine. It was fine. I just came up with content. Mm -hmm. No, I want to 
Sometimes you're going to alienate people. Welcome, welcome to the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you can't be yourself, why would you do this? That's kind of yeah. Point. <laughs> no, completely. Okay. Um. Well, so I think the book with your dad is a great idea. Is there anything that you were shocked about, and when you started publishing from an author standpoint? Let's see. Things I was shocked about. Um. Well. I was a little shocked at how much stuff I sent out and how few responses I got. Now, again, this was the beginning of the pandemic. Publishing houses were in New York. I was sending things out probably February um, of 2020. Mm -hmm. So kind of close to when you were doing stuff, Erica, and it's like, well, not much is happening. So I was a little shocked at how much I blanketed things. Same philosophy I use with dating. It's a numbers game, right? Yeah. So I was a little shocked at how dating, I got too much response here. I got not enough. So I was a little shocked at how much you're basically pissing in the wind. Mm. And it's very disheartening. I mean, you know, you want to say, oh, it's not that big a deal, but really, you know, you're home and you're like, well, I sent out 20 agent queries. You'd think a couple of them could have the courtesy to get back to me. And it was sad. I remember the morning of my birthday being in a romantic hotel and getting a, a Declan, you know, a thanks but no thanks from an agent that specialized in memoir and they're like your dialogue's good this was really close and it was like <sighs> you know it's painful so mm -hmm. that surprised me um i was surprised at the amount of work you have to do for your book but it was good i mean filling out sheets figuring out genres trying to get a plan in place getting those endorsements proofreading but I mean, it was all good. I think my publisher, She Writes, does a very good job of kind of educating us as to what we need to do mm -hmm. and how we need to do it. I was kind of a rebel to some of it, <laughs> but you know, it. I definitely was happy there was someone to kind of keep me on track. Yeah, no, I think that does absolutely make a difference. Um, so with that spec, but what about actually like um, when you did get the publisher and things like that, was there anything that was like, like you weren't expecting it? Not really, no, I wasn't. Um, no, I was very happy at that point to get a publisher. Um, I'd sent, she writes a full copy of the book. I'd worked with an expensive editor. I was like, well, nobody's getting back to me. I'm getting a few rejections. What the hell's going on? And to hear, no, we think this is ready to go made sense to me because I'd worked mm -hmm. again with a pretty fabulous editor and we went through it a few times because it right. needed a lot of work to get it where it needed to be to have any depth. I mean, that's the hardest part. So I wasn't really surprised. Um, you know, the length is a long time, you know, you, you sign up and then it's like two years and, or I forget a year and a half. It was a long time before the book was, you know, a book out there, but it wasn't that surprising. It was just mainly a lot of forms, a lot of deadlines, a lot of stuff you keep doing, you know, yeah. that was a yeah. little surprising. No, absolutely. Okay. Bo, my friend, final question. Well, I know we've talked about your dating experiences. Do you have a funny dating story to tell? Hmm. I can. Yes. Yes. Tell it. Yes. Okay. I was a young, undernourished 50-year-old widow uh, wearing the last of my designer bling I don't own anymore. And I started to date this really rich, older artist, about 13 years older. He lived in Berkeley. He was very established, mansion, you know. Um, 
What I hadn't really realized is he was a dinosaur and a terrible remnant of the patriarchy. And um, I don't know, I remember him saying, you know, I didn't catch flags. Like at one point he said, well, you've been married a long time. So I know you know how to get along with a man, which is terrible, right? And I thought, okay, I guess that works. But I'd hosted a couple of his events. I was sort of here doing the educated, sophisticated, undernourished thing. And um, at one point, we, he, I host this big event for him, with him. I mean, it was fun. It, it was a privilege to be asked. But then the next day, he explained to me over breakfast at this beautiful little cafe in Oakland. It's called Oliveto. It was just perfect in Rockridge. He, he explained to me how I wasn't grateful enough, what it would have cost had I not got, been able to go to his fancy event as his guest. And I needed to pay for breakfast. I needed to pay for more things. At this point, you know, I was had straightened out my husband's estate and was thinking, what am I going to do? And he's, you know, a bazillionaire. And finally, in the restaurant, I said, and it was not the first time I said, can you, at least if you're unhappy with me, handle this privately? And he said, mm-hmm. my shrink doesn't want me to feel resentful. And that was such a shitty line. I had to share it with the world. And that's where I started blogging. What a dick. He is. I'm sorry. He is. He's in the book. He's everybody's, you know, he's not a favorite character, but it was kind of that experience where I couldn't have invented a weirder situation, especially when I look back on it and had a little more perspective when I was kind of past the undernourished tech world, you know, when I was kind of a kind of normal and less kind of freaked out by widowhood and being alone. And I looked at that and it was like, that's so messed up. And I didn't see it ahead of time. And if I didn't, that means other women wouldn't either. And, you know, we need to be warned about some of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that line was so bad, it started me blogging. I think that, that you know, I always say if you, sometimes if you write, um, and it's not true with dating because a lot of people have had such terrible experiences, right? That they can see that. But some stuff, if you write it in a book, people go, that would never happen. And you go... <laughs> It did. <laughs> I, it did. I lived it. Thank you. Thank you anyway. There. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Craziness. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time, Debbie. Where can people find your social information in? and hold up your cover and where can they find your book? Um, my website is Debbie Weiss Author. I'm also on Facebook as Debbie Weiss Author. Sometimes things come up as the hungover widow. That was my blog name and that was my old page on Facebook. But I'm Debbie Weiss Author on Facebook. I'm Debbie Weiss Author on um, Instagram. I'm pretty easy to, I seem to be easy to find on Instagram. Um, I think I'm De- DK Weiss Writer or something, but I am on TikTok and I do have a couple funny videos. I do have one on dating over 50. And um, my website again is Debbie Weiss Author. And I'm also come up under the hungover widow. My book is obviously available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold. And I always make a pitch that to order it from your local bookstore, because my local bookstore bookshop, Benicia here has been so kind to me, giving me an event, stocking the book. And so did Rake Straw in Danville, where I grew up. So mm-hmm. you, you, can, you can also order it from independent bookstores, which I think is nice. I think so too. I appreciate so much you being on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Bo Lake. Our guest has been Debbie Weiss, and we will see you. Oh, don't forget to like and subscribe. 
Oh my goodness, I don't know why. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you, Baileys, for almost having me forget that part of it. And we will see you next time. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the literary briefs edition. I am your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today is Bo Lake. And our guest today is Debbie Weiss. Woo! Welcome! Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. I, I have, I put a lot of this in here. This is pretty big, heavy. Um, <laughs> I mixed um, chai tea latte mix from Starbucks. Well, it's whatever. It's from Tazo, but Starbucks. And um, Bailey's Espresso, um, Irish cream, but it's espresso flavored. And then cold brew and then milk. And I think I put a lot of Bailey's mainly in this. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty yummy. It's one of my new favorites. But what about you? What are you drinking? I am finishing a blue moon that is very delicious. And matches your hair, which makes it always it does. Debbie, I can only, about- I can only drink things that match my hair. Or- I, okay. Well, your Coke Zero the other day made that all lies and slander. I- so um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, uh, Debbie, what about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking a glass of lovely Paul Remy sparkling wine uh, from Trader Joe's at $3 a bottle. It's delicious and wonderfully value priced. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's true. I absolutely love the Trader Joe's wine. So I think it's brilliant. Okay. So here we go. Ready? Rapid fire questions, my friend. Okay. What is your favorite book of all time? Mm, Consider the Oyster by MFK Fisher. Why is that? Um, I really love MFK Fisher's writing. I think she's just so comforting. And my dad introduced me to her as a writer. And I love the way she weaves in, like she's talking about food and how that affected her, but she's really talking about her life and her passions and her emotions. And I love how food is the basis for that. And I also just think it's fun to read about food. Uh, I don't disagree. It's it's very fun to read and eat food. Big fan of Great British Baking Show. What about your least favorite book of all time? Might have been War and Peace. I finished it. Thousands of pages, but I, and I understand why it's a masterpiece, but it was really too much about Napoleon, if I recall it. Yeah, it was it was a slog. <laughs> well, it's very funny because there's an audiobook of War and Peace that's kind of ridiculous. And the narrator is terrible, I'm sorry to say. And mm. I remember like starting to read it and I was like, what the hell is going on? I mean, listen to it. And I'm like, this is so weird because War and Peace is thick as it is, but it was even worse with this audiobook. <laughs> so- um, how many hours was that? I'd only got a little ways into it. I'll tell you, and it's it's interesting. Um, a narrator makes a di- I don't care how great the writing is of the book. If I can't stand the narrator, I can't listen to the book. Right. You know, and I always recommend, even if you want to do audiobooks and you want to listen to it and you're like, oh, I'm so excited about this. 
do a sample of the narrator to decide whether or not you can listen to that person for 8, 10, 12, 15, 25 hours. In the case of War and Peace, <laughs> like 487 hours, you know. Yeah, it's it's long. Okay, what about your um, uh, favorite book that was made into a movie or TV show where you felt like they did a really good job? No, oh, I'm highfalutin here. I'm going to say Firefly Lane. I really love the Firefly Lane TV series. It seems to come out in the winter. I think the first one came out when I'm a big hiker. I had plantar fasciitis. So I was like home taking gummies and zoning and Firefly Lane came out. And then, you know, I read the book and it was good. It was good. I mean, it's Kristen Hanna. It's amazing. But I, for some reason, I, I found the TV series almost more engaging. I just like the people in it so much. Oh, yeah. No, I think the TV show is awesome. That's Catherine Heigl, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting. What about one they didn't do such a great job with? Oh, goodness. There, there are so many. Um, well, probably The Great Gatsby, right? I mean, it's a beautiful, slender, beautiful little book. And both the 1970s version, I think, with Robert Redford is a bit better. And then the Boz Lerman one, I think it's Boz Lerman, is amazing. It but is it's not the book. It's, I mean, I don't feel like anybody's really captured kind of that really beautiful, allegiant, quiet feeling that the book had. Yeah, no. And I think that, you know, it's hard to go with what, what would people accept. And sometimes you have to have more of a story to take part of the story. I don't know yeah. if that made sense, but I, I think it yeah. should make sense. Like you have <laughs> to have more of it to actually understand a small piece of it when you're talking about a story. Um, what about, uh, what is one of your favorite places to travel to? Oh, I'm not a big traveler. I mean, I have traveled a bit, oh. but um, I mean, I've loved everywhere I've traveled. Um, I was just in Maui for two and a half weeks. So that's on my mind. And um, I really love Maui. You just mm -hmm. chill. You know, when I go on bigger vacations, I take my uh, Rick Steves guidebook and I highlight it and then I go through it again. And I went with my partner Randall to Maui and he's pretty chill. And we just chilled. We stayed someplace really cool with the kitchen, walked, sat on the beach, made food at home, lots of pokey. And I just liked how chill it is. And just, it's so beautiful there. It, you mm -hmm. just, you can't help but feel relaxed where would you where would you like to travel that you haven't traveled yet um i would like to go to see the prado um in spain the, mm. the museum my dad really loved it there and i would like to go there and hang out for days on end and look at art <laughs> very cool what about um one of your favorite foods there are so many um, cheese, soft, gooey cheese. Yeah. What is your favorite cheese? Do you have one? You know, I've done like the fancy triple cream brie stuff and all, but again, I'm older, so I don't eat a ton at one time. That's not my issue. So I'm really liking these sort of, it's real cute. It's like these soft little cubes. It's called laughing cow and it oh, comes in a little pie yeah. shape and each thing is wrapped individually in a square of foil with a nice smiling cow on it. And somehow the packaging is so adorable and comforting and the cheese is delicious and it's pre-portioned for you. So you feel like you've had your treat and then 
you don't have, you know, 50 pounds, you know, $50 worth of brie in your fridge getting moldy. Cause you know, I bought cheese again. I've been a single person for eight and not anymore, but I have been. And it's like serving sizes are like, what the heck do I do with this? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going with the lovely laughing cow. I like it. I like it. What is a weird food combination that you like? Well, uh, there was dinner last night. We had Trader Joe's cilantro steamed like chicken shumai little dumplings with some pate and laughing cow and a martini. Ooh, what kind of martini? Um, it was gin. Uh, it was a green gin bottle. It was probably a Trader Joe's brand. It's on like an ad, but my partner does the shopping. I'm kind of strictly Instacart. So, um, <laughs> it was that. just a plain, plain martini. You know, I'm kind of from the school that gin and a little vermouth is a martini. All these other things aren't really martinis. They're other things. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. What about if you could be any mythical or fantastical creature, what would you be? Hmm. Well, I guess I'd be a phoenix because you get a lot of chances, right? Mm. I mean, if you blow it, you can come back and you're powerful. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I do like that. Um, what about, um, where is, uh, like a literary world that you'd like to visit? Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but I read a book for book club and it wasn't a thing I normally read. It was, I think it was called the Cerulean Sky and it was, um, it was kind of YA and it was set in sort of these mythical creatures are living with this man and this kind of village. And it was just really cool because the villagers all turned out to be kind. And it was probably a lovely small town kind of vibe. And I like small towns. I live in Benicia, California, which is kind of a small, old fashioned feeling town. So I think I'd like to visit the world and the characters. Of, I think it was Cerulean Sea. I'm getting the name wrong. I think it was Cerulean Sea, but I would go visit the town there and hang out. Very cool. Um, what is your favorite trope to read? Trope, like like uh, enemies to lovers, or you know, uh, that kind of thing. Like favorite, like kind of story thing to read. Definitely, your unreal rom com, where mm -hmm. average woman's life is transformed in super ridiculous way with man she has fake argument with three quarters of the way through the book you know I watched those two give me Nancy Myers you know, so yeah, I, like, I mean my trope honestly I'll be honest when I got through the book and I was stressed I, I read very very much Ellen Hildebrand so mm -hmm. I am the Nantucket trope reader well and you know those can be I, I'll tell you one of my favorite genres to read when I'm stressed out or like just need something is paranormal romance like light oh. paranormal romance because it it's very different than sometimes some of the heavier books or biographies and stuff like that that I like to read and if things are going on you know I want ridiculousness because you need that sort of escapism right exactly mm -hmm. yeah something about those books worked for me because it was this plot and these people would come together and fall apart and they were all ridiculously you know good looking and a little bit kind of stereotypical they they weren't real quirky, you yeah. know, and it was just kind of, it, it, was, it was pretty close to watching a soap opera, you know, reading a soap opera. And, yeah. you know, the settings were so pretty and it was all these sort of fancy galas and things that, 
made for some kind of fun writing. So yeah, it was just kind of, a, it was really good. It was really good escapism. Very cool. Bo? Who is your favorite author? Um, my favorite author is the late, great Lori Colwyn. Who is your least, least favorite author? I can't, I shouldn't give a name. That would be the schmuck I dated that I talked about in the first episode, the, the older Berkeley oh. author who's very successful. So <laughs> I don't like him as a person, but uh, I'm being mean. Um, least favorite author you would have heard of. Oh, okay. I'm going to, you're going to hate me. Um, I would say Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code and all that stuff just yeah. reads so quick. I mean, it's plot, the plot's amazing, but it's like, okay, give me something of these characters. I know people love him and I've gotten sucked in. I mean, he's great to read like in an airport or something, but I, I find the reading like, this could have been so much more. It's very plot driven, not character driven. Exactly. And it just keeps going. And then there's this twist and it's like the, the people are so clear cut. It just, yeah. What is your desert island book? The book that you can read over and over and over again for the rest of your life with no other books. No other books. Oh, goodness. That's a hard one. Collected works of MSK Fisher. That's the one I keep coming back to. What uh, is your favorite writing snack? What do you eat while you write? Is oh, well, it I write? No, I don't read. I don't eat while I write. I get like really weird and intense. So I go through tons of green tea. And also when I'm really writing, I turn into being nocturnal. My dad's nocturnal. Mm. And when I write, I keep really weird hours. One of the reasons I probably don't write much. But um, after writing, I really like a nice cookie and a cup and uh, a nice cup of tea. You know. Nice. It's a yeah. treat for yourself when you're done with yeah, your show. Yeah. Um, what it go ahead. I oh, you're on a roll. Go for it. <laughs> what is your Starbucks order or equivalent coffee shop? Equivalent coffee shop. Oh, um, it is I usually get just something like a latte mm. with almond milk or oat milk. I'm pretty boring. Um again, boring. I'm almost That's 60. Great. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cautious. I don't want, I'm, I don't want, I'm using my calories effectively. So I do not want your pumpkin mocha, extra chocolate infused spice. That's actually 3000 calories, but yeah. I do love coffee. So yeah, cook a lot. Yeah. A, lot, a latte with, with oat milk. Very cool. You had a, you had a question, oh. Erica? No, you're, I'm going to be no, quiet no, now because you seem no, to go for, go for it. Go for it. No, 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 you go. You now, go. Now, now I have performance anxiety and don't have a question ready. Okay, that's fine. Now I can get a question ready. Uh, <laughs> so is there uh, anything that is on your absolute bucket list? Not really. Um, you know, having been widowed, and feeling terrible. I've moved to a home that I love in a new community that I love. I have a partner of five years that I'm crazy about. Um, I got my book out there. That's for me, that's kind of enough for now. Very, very cool. That's great to be at peace with everything. I think that's awesome. I, I, 
feel that way. I mean, I know people take trips or they do this and I always feel like it's going to be like one of those lethal weapons movies. You know, you know, something's going to go wrong the night you're setting off for your, you know, bazillion dollar trip to your dream <laughs> destination or something. No, totally. Okay, Bo, did, are you over your performance anxiety yet? Yes, I have a question. It's the question that stumps everybody. Uh, <laughs> if you had to dedicate your book to a celebrity, who would it be? Celebrities are just like us. Um, I don't really know celebrities, so who would I dedicate it to? Um, Oh, I know who I dedicate it to. I'm going to mess up her name. Um, maybe you can, I think her name is Mary Louise Parker. And mm -hmm. she was the star of the uh, long running TV series, Weed, uh, what was it called? Oh yeah, Weeds, yeah. Weeds, Weeds, right? Weeds, I, I watched all of it right when I was widowed because she was mm -hmm. a widow on the edge. And I would watch, I would get my takeout and sit on the floor after I went through my husband's papers and did my work for the day or just had it terrible day or whatever I would watch weeds and watch what she was going through so Mary Louise Parker because she was another kind of edgy unhinged widow yeah no I you know what one of my favorite roles she had was in um uh red, red. oh is that the movie yeah uh, with um uh Bruce Willis played counterpart and they were like all retired FBI spy people kind of things yeah. and it had like Morgan Friedman and what is her name oh my gosh I absolutely adore her and her name is escaping me because of Bailey's right now Helen Mirren is oh, in it and she plays a wet work specialist which basically means she's an assassin and uh, Mary Louise Parker plays this girl who works at like a benefits or unemployment office and Anyway, it's you should watch it. It's terribly hysterical. <laughs> um, okay, what is I, Bo? I'm going to make you do the final question. Um, yeah, do you have pets, Debbie? Do you like have animals? Have you ever had no. animals? Um, I had a cat when I was growing up. Uh, she died on the morning. Uh, my dad had to take her in by himself because I was having an exam in law school. So I was traumatized by that. And no, I haven't. I, I don't have any pets, you know, um, after losing my husband, I joke, I didn't, I haven't yet been ready to have something that's going to predecease me again. Mm. No, that makes it okay, Bo, final question, mm. my friend. No pressure. Make it great. <laughs> you always make fun of this question, though. That's fine. I won't make fun of it this time, I promise. <laughs> what is your advice to other writers? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I teach write. I've taught writing. So um, write what you're passionate about. Write the thing that you can't leave alone. You know, if this is the thing that's hurting, that you're like, well, this is the hard stuff. This is painful. That's what you want to write. I like that. That's good advice. Very cool. Well, shameless self-promotion time. Talk about where you find your book and where you find your um, uh, socials and stuff to sign up for your newsletter. Thank you. Um, my website is Debbie Weiss Author. It also comes up under its old name, which is The Hungover Widow, the domain name I let lapse. But I am Debbie Weiss Author. And again, hung, The Hungover Widow is my old moniker. Um, so you can find my website there. Um, I'm also, I am on Facebook. I have an author page, Debbie Weiss Author. I'm pretty easy to find. And I love hearing from people, widowed folk who are having a hard time. I answer people. I answer everybody. 
I'm on Instagram as Debbie Weiss author. And I have cute pictures of me with my partner, Randall, who's super photogenic. I am on TikTok. I think it's DK Weiss writer or Debbie Weiss writer. I'm not on TikTok a lot. And uh, you can find my book. I'm shamelessly self-promoting. Available as is. You can find it obviously on Amazon where it has some good reviews and has had some traction. You can also, it's also available like on websites, Barnes and Noble, any, any standard place. My publisher has normal widespread distribution. And you can also order it if it's not on the shelves of your independent bookstore, which I love because the two independent bookstores where I've been living have been so kind to me in stocking my book and supporting it. So I always think that that's really important. Very, very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It was wonderful having you. This was really fun. Thank you. This was a blast. Absolutely. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host is the amazing Bo Lake. Do not forget to like, subscribe, review, hit that button now. You want to follow us because we're tons of fun. And of course, leave us any comment you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest has been Debbie Weiss, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.